Sounds wonderful. Good to see you in the house of the Lord. Glad you're here. We direct your attention to the Word of God, to Hebrews chapter 2, and we look at the very last verse of Hebrews chapter 2. For because He Himself has suffered when tempted, He is able to help those who are tempted. We read that again and just fill in the pronoun. Because Christ Himself has suffered when tempted, Christ Himself is able to help those who are being tempted. Let me change the pronoun again. For because Christ Himself has suffered when tempted, Christ Himself is able to help us who are being tempted. The Word of the Lord. You may be seated. My prayer is this morning that this sermon will help somebody in their life as a Christian. Dealing with the matter of temptation. The profile of temptation is found way back in the book of Genesis. Let me take you there first, where we can see it there in Genesis chapter 3. And you know the story of the fall, how there in chapter 3, the beginning of the chapter talks about Satan's approach to Eve in the garden and asked her a few questions and she answered them and they had a bit of a dialogue. And then the scriptures talk about how the woman, humanity, the mother of all living, our mother, handled that temptation. And it's in verse 6 of chapter 3 of Genesis. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband Adam who was with her and he ate. There's a lot in the story of the temptation that explains a lot of the problems we face. Scripture makes it clear that the temptation that we endure is not God luring us and tricking us into sin. But we are tempted when we are led by our own desires and by our own lust and our own aspirations into a particular sin act or sinful pattern of action. And this you see is exactly what happened to Eve. Eve did not have a depraved state. She was in a state of innocence, a state of uprightness as God had created Adam. She was really free. We won't talk about free will. She had free will to make that choice and her husband was with her. What in the world he was saying or doing at this point in time, I do not know, but he was there and participating with her enthusiastically. Perhaps he was letting Eve articulate the feelings and the observations and the uh, evaluation of this moment. And he was listening to Eve's perspective on the matter, and it made good sense to him. After all, she was bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. She was the one suitable for him. They were in this together. 
They were in this together all the way. But notice the profile of the temptation to the woman. It follows that which John tells us in 1 John. It was the lust of the eye or the desire of the eye. She saw that the tree was good for food. Perfectly rational observation. And the number one reason why she was tempted to partake. Look at the second place. It was a delight to the eyes. Not only was it the lust or the desire of the flesh, but it was the desire of the eye. She saw it. It looked good. It looked right in her eyes. And then in the third place it says, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. That's the suggestion that Satan had made. It. Your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. And here was her chance to move up the strata beyond that of creature and approach that of creator. Here was the pride of life. So the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life moved upon the woman and the man. And they ate. They partook. And the Word of God was true, whether Satan said it was true or not. And the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And that began the death march for humanity. And all of the children of Adam and Eve, down through the millennia, find themselves in that condition, born into that condition into which Adam and Eve had fallen. They fell into it. We are born into it. It's a sinful condition. It is a depravity and a lack in our very beings, in every aspect of our beings, in our mind, our soul, our body, our will, our emotions that moves us in a sinful direction, that leans us and bends us that way. And given opportunities and choices and options, we exercise those and we invariably sin. The question I ask is, how does Christ help us when we are tempted? The first way He helps us is He has given us His Word. There's not a question about what is expected of us as creatures and as God's children and what is prohibited to us what we are to do, we're very clear through the Word of God on the thou shalt nots and the thou shalt. It isn't that they're hard to understand. It's that they're hard to obey, given our condition. So we're in that human condition, which is able to sin, but we have fallen into that sinful condition in which we are not able to not sin. What a sad condition. 
But that's where redemption story begins. The very place in the Bible where it talks about our sinfulness is the very chapter in the Bible where redemption story begins. When God promises the seed, He promises the Savior, the one who would come and do battle with the serpent. And let me walk you, if I can, through Jesus' battle with the serpent. How does Christ help us when we're tempted? Well, the first thing He does is He he Himself faces the serpent, faces the tempter. And before I go any further, I meant to do this a moment earlier, but let me give it to you now. It's helpful, I think, if we, as we look at our text, if we understand the uh, clear definition of the words. It's a simple text. It's, the words are simple, they're plain, but let me uh, hone them just a little bit to a little finer precision. The word suffered means to experience. It means to undergo. It's not the word for suffering that we know with, with pain and agony and all that goes through it. It's, that's not the word. It's in the cognate but it's not the word. It's a different word. It means mainly to experience. So it says, if Christ suffered, it meant He experienced it. He underwent that experience in that condition. The word that's translated tempted means to test, to try, to strive. A temptation is that which is set before us that is objective in itself, but it's our assessment of it. It's our subjective perception of the temptation and the lust and the desires and the perversions within our heart that move us toward it. That's why Christ could be tempted at all points like as we are. It's because He was tempted in His humanity. He was tempted in His uprightness. And... The third word, it's probably good to point out, is the word help. It's only used one time in the Scriptures here. In this particular verse, it has related words that are used all around the place, but it principally refers to divine help. That is, help that comes from God, help that comes from outside. But, but it comes from a root word which means to run to help, to rush to help. We would think of it as the first responder to a crisis. And that's who God is, and that's who Christ is to us. He is the first responder. He's the one that rushes, that runs, that immediately is on the way to help us. I could close the Bible and sit down right now, and that'd be all the preaching we needed to hear this morning. Some of you wish I might do that. I'm not going to. Rush, run. He is eager and ready to help us. He is an ever-present help in time of trouble. I think the reason we don't receive that first responder help is because we don't dial 911. We don't ask for it. We don't call. We have not because we ask not. When we're in a moment of temptation, we enjoy the relish of the, uh, of the temptation and the entertainment of the thought. It's, the food is good to eat, and it's good to look at, and it's fun to think about, and the pleasures of sin are pleasurable for a season, for a while. 
but the wages of sin is death. And that's what Christ came to do. And that's the gospel message that we hear this morning to us is that He comes to help us, but He comes to help us in a, a, a few particular ways that Christ Himself has done this work for us. And let me just point them out to you. I think they're obvious. You could probably list them yourself if you, if you thought about it for a minute. But uh, go with me to the garden of temptation. And that is Eve and Adam. And just sort of hold your mental finger on that verse. And now come with me to the wilderness of temptation. Perhaps Matthew chapter 4 is the best thorough gospel record of it along with Luke 4. And here we find that Christ was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. It was the will of God that Jesus, in His humanity, undergo these temptations in the wilderness. And from the very outset of His ministry, He had just been baptized, He had just been designated, He had just been given all of the authority. And before He ever went to a synagogue in, in uh, uh, Galilee or any place else to preach, before He ever healed anyone, before anything else, He was driven to temptation. Let me suggest to you that before your ministry and service to the Lord, is going to get very far along, you need to be able to deal with temptation in your life, temptation to sin. And this is what Jesus did. He was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness. And you know the story quite well. We've even preached on it a time or two over the last few years. But let me just sort of sketch it for you. The first temptation was the stones to be turned to bread. This was a challenge to Jesus' miracle working capacity, which He certainly had. But more than anything else, after 40 days of fasting, Jesus was suffering dire hunger. And this was a temptation that always is in view. And that is the temptations of the body, the physical, the sensual, the appetites. The appetites of the body are represented in biblical psychology, that which is the lower region of the body, the abdomen and below. Those where the physical appetites are. If your affections are around your heart and your chest, and your mental capacities and your intellectual are in the, in the head, in a kind of a tripart thinking about how we're made up in a, in, a, in a simple way. The appetites are those that we just simply have to respond to. And here's the way Jesus faced that temptation. He told Satan that the Lord caused the people, and he quoted Deuteronomy, by the way, Deuteronomy 8, Chapter 3, the Lord said to the people there, He said, I caused thee to hunger in the wilderness. Remember that part of the verse? It's not in the New Testament, it's in the Old. In order that thou mayest know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In other words... Jesus resisted that first temptation because He had already put in His heart and in His mind and in His character and in His soul the Word of God. He had already found the Word of God to be a delight. Thy words were found and I did eat them and Thy Word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. It is like honey from the honeycomb to my lips. Jesus had known the Word of God studied the Word of God from his youth. And he, he knew the things that God had set as a priority. 
So he answered Satan in that regard. The second temptation was that Satan took him to a high place where he could behold the kingdoms of the world. He said, you can have all of this if you bow down and worship. He showed him the kingdoms of the world. He wanted to work on the lust and the desires of the eye. He said, look at all of this, and I will give it to you if you'll bow down and worship. Well, we don't have time to go into all of the implications of that, but Jesus was going to inherit all that anyway. He was just going to do it through a path of redemptive suffering. It was not just going to be handed to him, but he guarded against that moment of temptation by placing in his heart and mind his affections upon the Lord. He had settled the worship question in his life. And he quoted Deuteronomy 16, I'm 616. I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 6.13, where it says, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Jesus had answered the worship question. He knew who His God was. He knew the exclusivity and the jealousy of the one true God. So Jesus had the Word of God, and He had the person of God foremost as he faced the temptation. And the third one was the temptation then to cast himself off the temple heights. He was told, if you cast yourself off, the Lord will take care of you. He'll bear you up lest you cast your foot against a stone. He will protect you. Satan preached a good sermon at that point about how God cares for his own. But Jesus recognized the temptation for what it is. And that is, this was a place in which you would tempt God. You would presume upon the grace of God and the goodness of God. And he says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Oh my, I think that's one of the places where we fail the worst, isn't it? We presume upon the grace of God. Go ahead and sin. The blood of Christ covers all sin. All that presumptuous sin right there tells you there's a condition of a heart that is not quite converted. What? Shall we sin that grace may abound? God forbid such an attitude as that. Jesus was not going to presume upon the goodness and the grace and the care and the mercy of God at all. And He resisted that particular temptation. So Jesus battled where we battle with the stones to bread, with the lust of the appetites, the carnal, the flesh, the sensual. He battled where we battle against the tempter in the area of serving the Lord, in the spiritual realities of who He really truly worshipped and cast out every idol every idol to serve the true and the living God. In the third place, Jesus had dealt with Satan at the emotional and psychological, the impulse, the feeling, and said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. We're not to live by presuming upon the grace of God. We're to live by faith. That's trusting the grace of God. 
Jesus battled for us in the wilderness of temptation. And that's where we live, in the wilderness of temptation. We should follow in his steps, learning what we can, asking him to teach us more and sinking into our soul, deepest into our psyche about how we are to deal with these things. This is, this is something that every Christian is going to struggle with till the day uh, he or she dies. But there's a victory. There's a sweetness. There's a sanctification. There's a cleansing. There's an understanding of suffering in the fellowship of Christ's suffering as we work through our own personal lives of our temptations and our sin patterns. Come with me to the Gethsemane of temptation. The Gethsemane of temptation is when Jesus was facing the cross and late that night with his disciples, he's told them, said, I am exceedingly sorrowful. There was a grief, there was a weight that was bearing him down and it was the weight and the grief and the guilt of our sin. He was about to take upon himself our sin. And in Gethsemane, which by the way means an olive press, the olives from the Mount of Olives were pressed and the juices were used, the olive oil. And this was where Jesus was. He was in the, wine, the, the olive press of the Lord where he was being squeezed. There was a dread, there was an agony. And here's where Jesus faced the temptation with the understanding of his total devotion to the will of God. Are we there? Total devotion to the will of God. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Have you found that moment in your life? It may be a sequence of moments. It may be a process. But whatever it is, you need to cross. You need to cross through Gethsemane's garden going in on the one side where you're in agony and dread depression and fear guilt with a cloud over you but coming out on the other with a soul and a will and a life that's totally submitted to the Lord will we ever get there should we be on that road Shouldn't that be the crisis moment of our life where we say, not my will, but thine be done. And then finally, go with me one more place. Not just to the garden of temptation, not just to the wilderness of temptation or the Gethsemane, but to Golgotha, to Calvary, to the cross. There's where the suffering and the experience of our lives comes to its greatest apex. We have an experience. Our experience is that we have sinned and the soul that sins will die. Spiritually, physically, everything that death entails. That's our experience. It is appointed unto man once to die. And Jesus went through that moment and that ordeal of our experience as well. And when we die, we pay for our sins. That's how you pay for your sins, is you die for them. 
But Jesus stood in our place there too. Suffering the penalty for sin. Our penalty. Bearing in His body our sin and receiving the due and just recompense for that sin in Himself on the cross with all of the manifold suffering that went into that. And there we find absolution, forgiveness, pardon, release, acquittal, justification, restored fellowship. When we see that Christ has experienced, has suffered all the way through to that point, we can't help but say this. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. He has suffered. And we enter into His suffering by faith. It is a gift for your receipt. Empty hands reach out and receive that which God gives for you. All that Christ has done for you in all of His living, in His dying, His rising again, His living again, His intercession, His return. It's all Christ. And He's all for you. 